0: Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you've joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. When I came back from holidays uh, last week, uh, I went and had a look at the preaching roster and to see what passage uh, that I had to preach on. This is last week. And I saw that it was Psalm 24. And uh, had a bit of a look at it, I was instantly excited. Uh, a wonderful psalm, a little bit of a challenge, uh, but basically it reminds us uh, that we're able to come into the presence of God. Everything that Jesus has done satisfies to the point where we are able to come into the presence of God. So I was really excited about that, this confidence and boldness because of Jesus that we are children of God. Uh, a wonderfully encouraging message uh, that really builds us up. Uh, today's passage is a lot harder, a lot harder to get excited about uh, because Jesus is actually calling out the church at Ephesus <laughs> and uh, it's not an easy message to bring. Uh, it has the same blessing at the end, uh, but getting there is far more painful. It hurts. Today will hurt. Obviously, you don't read your news- newsletter and see what the topic was for today because you're here, uh, but it will hurt today. Um, But we also have that encouragement. So always encouragement, always blessing, but it doesn't come easily today. Um, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus and saying, I have some real problems. In fact, unless you do something about these problems, you're going to no longer exist. Uh, And, you know, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty tough. Uh, Normally, when I preach, uh, the way that with college and other things uh, we were taught was to Uh, sort of like a a plot or a storyline or a film where one point leads to the next point which leads to the next understanding and it sort of has this flow and um, the idea is that you know you're not supposed to always know what's coming next. (laughs) When I grew up in church as a young boy a few years ago it was totally different and I'm not saying one's better than the other but basically the preacher used to say I have three points today and they would tell you what those three points are and then they say point number one. And by that time, I thought, well, I may as well go to sleep. I've heard what it's about already. Uh, Nothing new here, nothing to see. But today, the the tone of the message, the challenge of it, is all I want to do is I don't want to be clever, funny, smart, creative. Uh, I may never be those things anyway. But today, I just want to give you some facts. And I just want to talk about what Jesus teaches, uh, the implications... And the reality where we have to listen, don't go to sleep. (laughs) This is Jesus talking to the church and it could be a church just like us. Now, I don't think there's a sense where God's wanting to snuff out the the, the lampstand here. But we have to listen and we have to be available and we have to be aware uh, that God could well be speaking to us quite powerfully today. Uh, The church at Ephesus was at the crossroads Uh, it could go either way. They could sort of prosper or they could become extinct. So it's quite a serious topic. And it's um, one of those things that we sort of don't consider. But how he ends this passage is really important. He said, if you've got ears, let him hear. And so what I'm asking this morning is that God's Spirit would speak, that we would hear and we would respond accordingly. That the worst thing that we could do is to put symbolically anyway put our fingers in our ears and think oh this hasn't anything to do with me so I trust this morning that um, it's just going to be a few facts but I pray that you would have a heart to listen one of the things that we discover is it's really important that we listen to the right voices when we're getting advice or we're taking some reference and it seems pretty obvious, if we want the answers to certain things, we speak to the appropriate people who know stuff. Uh, so if we have problems with our car, we sort of don't take it to the chemist. Uh, you know If we're having troubles with uh, various things, we, um, you know, we don't want to found out by how do we paint our house, so we Google you know, some cooking show. It's just madness. It's really quite clear to us when we want to know certain things, we go to the appropriate person. So if we're sick, We go to the doctor, we seek their advice. That just makes sense. It would seem to me that um, as a church it should be that obvious. When we want to know about church, when we want to know about spiritual vitality, when we want to know about the church being healthy and growing, uh, we need to go to the right person. And it would seem to me that uh, Jesus clarifies here really clearly that he's the person to talk to or to consider or to come under when you want to know what the church and church life should be about. And so we pick it up from verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, Translated, what it is saying is Jesus is control of all things. He's all-powerful, so there's great comfort, great reassurance. It is Jesus who created and controls the church. But the challenge comes when he reminds us that he walks among the churches. He's still interested. He's still watching. He's actually walking among the churches and he's, he's assessing our heart. He's assessing whether our attitudes are right. He's assessing whether our motives are right. He's assessing where we're effective in being his church. And so there's a, com- there's a comfort of knowing that he's in control, uh, but there's this slightly uh, nervous response that we have because Jesus is walking among his churches and watching and seeing what we're doing and what our hearts are like. So Jesus is the one that we listen to when we want to know how church should work, how we get spiritual vitality, what we need to do. Jesus is the one that we need to listen to. But because of our human nature, we seek comfort over challenge. We'd rather be comfortable than be challenged. Now, when I grew up in, uh, in, in college, it was always you had to both challenge and comfort people. That was the thing. You and I like comforting, but we don't like being challenged. So you know what we do when we want to know about church? You know what we want to do about how to be spiritually renewed? When We want to know what our heart's like. Do you know who we listen to? We listen to each other oh this is okay that's fine we can justify this we can justify that or worse in some kints we might have this spiritual guru they have big churches and they're growing and they're making lots of money they must know what's to do so we listen to them all we need to do and understand this morning is we need to listen to the voice of jesus he is the authority on the church he's the obvious go-to person when we want to know about the life of the church so we must listen to his voice must listen first point <laughs> point number one <laughs> we must listen to his voice our heart has to be soft it has to be humble it has to be receptive you know it's so easy to justify things you know if i'm telling you oh that's okay and you're telling me that's okay we all go oh that's okay <laughs> but we don't need to be listening to the voice of me or anyone else we need to be listening to the voice of the of christ And sometimes in Christian circles, you know, we we love our, our podcasts and we love these things and we love that and we have our certain Christian heroes and gurus. And if they're successful, and this is my concern, if they're successful, how do we measure the success of the church? It's big, it's loud, it's making money and it's growing. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not necessarily the measure of spirituality, and some guy writes a book, or he has this, it works for me, and it doesn't sort of line up to the Bible, but we say, it must be good. Look at the success he's having. So let's be careful. We just need to listen to the voice of Jesus. You need to test everyone, myself included, and see what Jesus says. See what he says. And so we come to this place where Jesus inspires this letter through John to the churches. You know, and it would do us really, really good if we listened to what he said really good the other thing we need to do is understand as a church we need to do what is right Uh, the church at Ephesus had a reputation of doing the right thing though a hard-working church Uh, in fact if you go to uh, Paul when he wrote to the church at Ephesus you'll see in chapter 1 and 2 of Ephesians that uh, Paul's virtually saying you guys are doing so good so great I I hold you up as an example to the other churches you're doing such a good job there So this church has been doing a good thing. And even Jesus himself affirms that. I know your good deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. They are doing great things, wonderful things. Great letter. You know, you imagine, yeah, good, good. Imagine if they're receiving this letter and they get to this point. Oh, boy, look how good we are. Jesus thinks we're pretty good. (laughs) Ephesus was like the de facto capital. Uh, It was like the mothership. Uh, The church was really significant, really important, had a lot to do with influencing other churches. Uh, And its favourite enemy was heresy. The church of Ephesus was really well known for standing up against heresy and false truth and lies. Uh, and not long after this there was a a couple of cultish type things came in a bit of heresy came in and a number of other churches fell over and, and sort of misrepresented the truth and went off in the wrong direction but Ephesus was a church that stayed true it had a reputation for a church that was committed to the truth And so these are good things that we need to do. Hold for the truth. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't put up with any heresy. Always don't compromise the gospel. These are all good things. And the church at Ephesus is doing such a good job. And Jesus talks about it. Look at that. Read. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You hate false truth. You've not grown weary. (laughs) But. And. There's always the but, and this case, we need to understand something really important. As a church, as individuals, we have to finish well. It's not how we start. How we start doesn't well. How we start's important, but how we start doesn't count. Uh, I'm a bit of a, a, a car racing enthusiast. I, I sort of enjoy that. And one of the favourite phrases, as always said in car racing, is this: "To finish first, you must first finish." A lot of car racing fans here, obviously. (laughs) But in other words, if you want to win, the first thing you've got to do is finish. And so it's not how we start, but how we finish. Uh, It's really important. Now, one of my um, heroes, I'm a bit old to have heroes, I know, but one of my heroes is the Australian Formula One driver, Daniel Ricciardo. And he's done really well for himself, he's got a great reputation. not important, makes a lot of money, that's good, but he has been considered for a number of years amongst the best drivers in the world, Australian, from Perth, good guy. However, at the moment, he is having the worst time of his life, terrible. He's actually been sacked from his team, he won't be in Formula One next year and I'm sort of glad because it's too painful for me and him, (laughs) too painful for him, too painful for me watching him do so badly. Now if you would have said two years ago that Daniel Ricardo would be sacked from Formula One and he wouldn't have a team, you would say you're a nutcase Paul, that's impossible. If you would say that there's going to be no church in Ephesus, people would have the same response. There's now no church in Ephesus, there's no city, uh, it's sort of the areas under Turkish rule and there's very little Christian influence. And so we need to understand, this is important, we must finish well. We must finish well. It doesn't matter how we start. We must finish well. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You started so well, but you're not doing good now. And if you don't change your ways, you're not going to exist as a church. Like I said, can you remember reading this? The first, first verse is good of the letter, second verse, and you're doing so well, they're great. But guess what? What a huge shock. I wonder if Christ was here physically today, and He is by His Spirit, He lives within us, but I wonder if Christ was here today, whether the words that He would had for VPBC would shock us we go, I never saw it coming, I never understood, I didn't realise, I didn't realise this was the reality of our relationship, I'd sort of been listening to other people and they said we were doing okay, I was comparing myself to other churches, it seemed like we we're doing okay. What a huge wake-up call and this is a scary thing, Jesus said you are doing all these good things but... And often we hide behind the good things that we're doing. Often we hide behind it because, you know what, they defended the truth. They didn't want any heresy. They were just straight onto it. Any false truth, whack. You know, almost see them puffing their chest out and say, we don't tolerate any untruth around here. Amazing, they're doing all these good things. And then the shock comes. But I'm just going to snuff you out unless you repent. And the challenge of that, not an easy message to give, not an easy message to hear, and I have to hear it as well, but we must finish well, we must persevere. You see, if our testimony is 20 years ago, God's not that impressed. If our testimony of what we're doing and how we trusted him 10 years ago, God's not impressed. I could say this at the extreme, if we were to say to God yesterday, I did this or I had this or whatever, God wouldn't be impressed because he's not interested in the past he wants us to be faithful now how we finish is important our testimony has to be up to date Daniel Ricardo would be aware of another famous saying in in racing and it's this you're only as good as your last race it doesn't matter what's happened in the past it matters now we must finish well and so you know me, and you know my heart. We know God is full of mercy and grace and his long-suffering. You know he just judges us according to our attitude and not our actions. You know that his mercy and grace covers us. And it's okay for us to say that we make mistakes and we fall short. All that God wants from us is that in our heart, we want the very best. We want to honour him and obey him. Our heart's desire is right. This church has a list of things that it did really, really well. And do you know, there would be people who would fight you over some of the things they were doing. In other words, they would stand up and fight you over these things. They would be so committed, holding to the truth, doing good, and no heresy. They would be big and bold and loud and saying, (laughs) look how spiritual we are. And yet, and yet, Jesus wasn't pleased in any way. And if they could be deceived, so could we. You know, denial is the worst possible thing. Denial brings you a short, in the short phrase, it brings you some peace because you disregard the truth. But denial has this problem that it catches up with you and it causes you shock and pain. I was in one of my first churches, a different church from here, so you don't have to start thinking, oh, who is that person? But I had a, a lady, and she was a lovely lady, we had a good relationship, she had a very soft heart, but she wanted to talk to me about a problem that her husband had with someone in the church. And I was talking to her for a while, and I was asking her, and she's very kind-hearted, and she's sort of saying, "And I, you know, I kept asking her over and over again, who is this person, who is this person? I was getting quite frustrated. Who is this person that your husband doesn't get along with? <laughs> Turned out to be me. I was the one. <laughs> and she was so gracious that she was trying to go every sort of direction without actually saying it straight out now in this case i couldn't change what the problem was it's not something i could do anything about but the thing is i wasn't even open to hear it i wasn't even close to hearing how could anyone have a problem with me it must be someone else (laughs) denial brings a bit of short-term peace but it brings long-term pain And we need to be aware that uh, the biggest enemy that you and I face is denial. He said, yet this I hold against you, you've lost your first love. The intensity of love that you had for me, the intensity of love you had for others has waned. You're doing great, you're doing good, you're fighting the heresy battle, you're hard at work... You've got a great reputation amongst the churches, but I'm not pleased because you've lost your first love. You don't have that intensity for me in love that you did at the beginning. So does this apply to us? Well, we've got to ask the question individually because the church is you and the church is me. So it's easy to say, oh yes, the church, we've lost it. Well, we may have, but it will come to each of us. We all, we're the church. And so the healing, or not even the healing, the the opportunity for us to respond will start with you and it will start with me. Are we in denial? Are we busy doing good things? Are we fighting the good fight? Are we defending the truth? Are we working hard? Do we have a good reputation? None of those things matter. The question we have to ask is, do we love Jesus like we did at the beginning? Do we love others the way that we did at the beginning? And if we've lost that intensity, if we've lost that intensity, Jesus is not pleased. So this is not the time for denial. Remember when God tried to speak to Peter? And God tried to tell Peter that um, it's okay, Peter, Uh, the church is for the Jew and the Gentile. In fact, you need to eat with the Gentiles. And he started out doing it for a while and then he suddenly, a lot of pressure came to bear from other Jewish people and he stopped it. (laughs) And I think the apostle Paul challenged him. But do you know what Peter's response was when it was made clear? Yes, you have to eat with the Gentiles. Do you know what he said? Surely not. Surely not, Lord. Oh, it's just so often our response. Surely you're not talking to me. Surely you're not speaking about VPBC. Surely you're not challenging us. That was a church at Ephesus. We're good denial is our biggest enemy and i'm not suggesting we're about to fall apart i'm not suggesting that god's going to blow out our candlestick i'm not suggesting that but i do know that if we're not listening if we're not committed to loving with intention if we don't have that first love for jesus and his people and others god's not impressed you see it's easy to be busy it's easy to be hardworking. it's easy to argue with people who have a different truth it's easy to do all of those things but those, none of those things are important to God. What's most important to God is that we love others and love Him with the highest priority. King David, man after his own heart, we talked about him last week, committed adultery and murder. He had a prophet Nathan that he would see many times a day. It took nine months, nine months for the prophet Nathan to get King David's attention. <laughs> He'd done this terrible thing, he knew it, but the power of denial. Can you imagine it? You virtually kill someone, you're adulterous, and you can just go into denial? Well, he did for nine months, and Nathan eventually got David to the place. He wrote Psalm 51. A broken man realized that he'd done a terrible thing, but it took him nine months to get to that point. 1 Corinthians 13. It's the wonderful, warm, and fuzzy sort of feeling chapter that we read at weddings but unfortunately, it's such a warm, fuzzy, romantic piece of poetry that we don't take it seriously. And we could just skim over it. We can just sort of look, read it and say, oh, isn't that the wonderful thing about love? 1 Corinthians 13 hurts. It really hurts. It's painful. If I speak in tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. That hurts. That's hard. Easy to read at a wedding, not really easy to take in and take it without denial and thinking, wow... Nothing that I do, nothing that I do matters unless I love. And so, above all, it's most important that you and I are marching to the same beat of God's heart. So how do we respond? How do we respond this morning? If we're not in denial and we're listening to the Spirit, we would be keen to hear what God has to say. Either that or the evil one's winning and we've already listened and said, well, it's not talking to me, it must be someone else and I'm doing okay. No one's perfect after all. We all make mistakes. But what we need to do is to hear what God is saying to us individually. No one else, just you, just me. And we need to hear what God's saying and we need to respond. And somehow you and I need to recapture the intensity and the desire for our first love for God and for his people. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I took home many report cards from school which said, uh, Paul needs to learn to listen. (laughs) I reckon God would probably mark me the same way some 50 years later. Paul needs to learn to listen. You see, somehow we have to overcome the distractions. Somehow we have to overcome all the busyness. Somehow we have to overcome the temptation to think if we're busy, we're pleasing God. If we're doing good things, we're pleasing God. If we've got a good reputation for being a good church, we're pleasing God. We have to overcome that because... It's very clear here that it's not. The reality is that loving as God isn't enough. I don't think the church at Ephesus stopped loving, surely not. I can't believe that. I'm sure there are aspects where they showed love. The problem wasn't they weren't loving, is that the problem was loving God wasn't their highest priority. They'd lost that first love. They were still loving but it was an optional. <laughs> And that tree of life, it's not just talking about eternity. That tree of life is talking about not a a quantity of life, but a quality of life, the bestest life. If we are able to overcome the temptation, if we don't go into denial and not listen and say, surely not, it must be talking to someone else. If we're honest and open to God's spirit and we obey him and we endeavour to recapture our intense love for God like it was at the beginning then we will enjoy paradise. Now we need to understand paradise here isn't a place, it sort of sounds like heaven and it sort of is, but heaven's not so much a place, it's not like we go to a place. Paradise is the state that we're in in a relationship with God, wherever we are. (laughs) And this is the reward, he who overcomes, he who has the victory will enjoy paradise, they will be close to God and they'll enjoy him and he'll enjoy them. So, from what we read from Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus, it's vitally important that we respond to God's voice. It's not enough to be busy. It's not enough to be doing good things. It's not enough. We need to actually understand that what God really wants is that we love Him with an intensity and love others with an intensity. For most of us, the challenge is to finish well. As I look around and as I know my own life and as I know most of you, <laughs> I would say that we've all started well. We've all had that moment where we've been convicted by God's Spirit, we've been broken. we've invited the Spirit of Jesus and He's come and made His home with us and we're empowered and we're impassioned and we, we were, it was just so good. <laughs> so I think all of us, have got that bit where we've heard, but what we need to do is finish well. Finish well. Jesus said to the church, look how far you've fallen. And what he's saying is, you were once at one spot, but now you've fallen. (laughs) He who has an ear, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. Which is the paradise of God. Our series is revival steps, things that we do so that God can bring spiritual renewal. We have to recapture our first love for Jesus. We have to recapture our love for others. We have to understand and not be in denial. If we do not love, we have nothing. We can be busy doing good things. But it doesn't matter to God unless we love him with a pure heart.